This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Visionary Wealth Advisors is an SEC-registered investment advisor with offices located in Colorado, Florida, Illinois, and Missouri. Investment information presented in this broadcast is for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon by any individual. It is recommended that all listeners seek individual advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor. Any reference to a market index is included for illustrative purposes only, as it is not possible to directly invest in an index. All statements and opinions expressed in this broadcast are based upon information considered to be reliable, although no express or implied warranty of accuracy is given. It is important to consider that all investments involve risk, and no investment strategy can guarantee positive results. You know, it's been said that success comes to those who wait. Belief started in the fourth grade. I believe that it's earned with the right attitude. And I had this nagging feeling. A great belief system. I was capable of so much more. And action every single day. In all the pursuits that we have in our lives, I think there's an element of suffering. When you mix that in with faith, courage, discipline, and most importantly, a vision. Never give up on yourself. That's when greatness happens. The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland. Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, founder and CEO of Visionary Wealth Advisors. And today I got in the studio with us, I got Dr. Stuart Friedman. Stuart, how you doing? Hey, Brett. Great to be here. It's uh, it's great to have you. And I was, I was telling you, I said, man, what a resume. I think I could uh, probably have my own show just to read your resume uh, of what you've accomplished. <laughs> That's very kind of you. But as I said to you, it's largely a function of my being old. Uh, that's right. That's right. So I'm just going to read a few if this is all right, because I think they're very impressive, just so our listeners understand exactly who the heck I'm talking to here. All right. We've got a professor at the Wharton School of Business at University of Pennsylvania. Started there in 1984. You were the founding director of the Wharton Leadership Program. Mm -hmm. You did a two-year assignment uh, as a director of Leadership Development Center at Ford Motor Company back in 01. Uh, numerous books on work-life uh, integration, which I'm excited to, to talk about some of that stuff, and a Wall Street Journal bestseller, USA Today bestseller, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, one, even my wife was impressed with last night because she knows I read his book back in the day, Jack Welch. You were a consultant to Jack Welch, who was the CEO of the 1900s, a former vice president, Al Gore, two other White House administrations, the United Nations, United States Department of Labor, Department of State, and the United States Army. Yes. Man. So that's who Dr. Stuart Freeman is on the outside. But for mm -hmm. those that maybe not know who Dr. Stuart Freeman is, why don't you give us a little lay of the land? What helped make you the man you are today? Wow. Uh, that's a big question, Brett. I guess, <laughs> uh, you know, it's my commitment to my, my family, I think, is the central uh, idea of my life that has propelled me to motivated me to to want to do uh, work that, you know, would make them proud. I like it. So were your parents, were they in academics? Were they leaders? Yeah. Well, I mean, what made you become, I mean, you've devoted your career to leadership here. So what, where did you think you found that bug? Uh, well, no, my parents were both, uh, artists. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Some of you may have heard of that, uh, place. And, uh, yeah. they were artists and artisans. Uh, their parents were immigrants, uh, from from Russia and Poland, and so we grew up uh, in a kind of you know working class Brooklyn neighborhood, and 
I always had an interest in psychology and philosophy and thought that originally I was going to be uh, a clinical psychologist, but then I discovered the world of organizational psychology and, and saw how so many people were influenced by their work in both positive and negative ways. And I wanted to understand that more and help more people find uh, a sense of meaning, purpose, and freedom and expression of their, you know, their talents and their contributions to the world through their work. And so I wanted to learn more about that um, and, and how to help people to contribute, to, to serve other people through their work. And that's really what I've been devoting these last few decades of my life helping people to do and, and to, to make it happen in such a way that they are also contributing to their families in ways that are meaningful and helpful to them. Yeah. So uh, I'd like to start with, if we could, with really the the definition of a couple things. So okay. I have a, a personal kind of philosophy on work-life balance, and okay. I would I would appreciate your definition of how when I when I say work-life balance, what does that really mean to you? What's what's your philosophy on that? Well, you know that's interesting that you ask about that because the uh, when we started this work at the Wharton School, so my eldest child is now over thirty years old. He's getting married in a few months. And Congrats. thank you. When he was um, when he was born in 1987, uh, I, that had a, a really transformational uh, impact on me, as it often does for first time parents. Um, my wife and I had uh, we had suffered two miscarriages prior to that, and so we were. You know, we were starting to wonder, hmm, maybe this isn't going to work out. And we were thinking maybe about adoption um, or just, you know, how is this going to happen for us? Because we, we really wanted to have children of our own making. Uh, and so when he arrived, we, it was especially profound, or at least it felt that way to me. And I had been doing research and consulting work and teaching on the subject of leadership development which was what I studied at, uh, for my uh, dissertation research at the University of Michigan, uh, where we looked at how do large companies cultivate their leadership talent. And I studied half the Fortune 500 and you know, did uh, an analysis of how these companies grow their leadership talent and, and what that means for their performance and their reputation. So that's what I was busy doing. Uh, and, you know, having a lot of fun with that. But then when my son arrived, I thought, oh, wow, what do I now have to do to make the world a, a safe one for him to grow up in and to be nourished in? And what can I yeah. what can I do about that? And I brought this question to my students when I returned to the classroom at the Wharton School, Wharton MBA program. And I said to them, hey. What are you going to do as a future business leader to make sure that you're, you're developing the next generation full stop, not the next generation of talent in your business, but the next generation? And the conversation we had that day was it really changed my life, my career, as, as I realized uh, I got to help these people because one of them turned around and said, well, you're the professor. You tell us. <laughs> and of course, student. I, I was just asking the question. Right. Uh, and that's that's what I've made a, a career out of is asking 
questions that provoke people and sort of annoy them uh, and help them perhaps to think a little bit differently. So I went about studying, uh, you know, the, the, the question of how can people be the people that they want to be in their families and in their communities and for themselves and grow in their careers in ways that are fruitful. Um, like so I'm not sure if I'm answering your question here, Brett, but yeah, no, I think my, my question, uh, yes, you are. And so I think we got a lot of stuff we're going to dive into today. So I'm excited about that, but I think I, I wanted to kind of set the stage and I, I almost want to have a debate on if, yes. if, uh, if my my theory of this is is in line with yours, or if you can change my theory on this, I actually don't believe in work life balance. Ah, okay. And, and, here, and, and here's why I say that. Go on. If I if I had so I've got a wife, four kids. Let's say I'm at home in the morning time, and it's chaos. It's crazy getting everybody to school. Uh, you know, maybe maybe we're arguing with a, a child, or my wife and I get into who's who's making lunch or who's doing this, and it's just normal stuff, right? If, if I'm impacted in the morning, I think it's going to impact my day at work or vice versa. If I have a bad day at work, there's probably a greater likelihood that I'm going to have a little more stress at home that night. And that's what I mean by the work-life balance. I think they're more intertwined than they are separate. And I think so many people try to keep them separate. Would you agree with that? I mean, let me be yeah. the student. You be the professor on that. All right. Let me be the professor here, Brad. Um, <laughs> when we started the work-life integration project at the Wharton School in 1991, following this, you know, inspiration from my child's arrival and my realization that I needed to dedicate uh, at least some of my career, my professional life to trying to help people figure out how to bring together the different parts of their lives. I intentionally, consciously chose the title for our project to be not the work-life balance project, but the work-life integration project, because we already knew from our early studies that balance is, if you'll pardon the expression, bullshit. It doesn't work for some of the reasons that you were just describing, because you can't have everything all at once in perfect balance. But what you can aspire to and get better at, and this is what my last you know, 30 years of, of, of work have been about, is finding a bit more peace and harmony and reduced conflict between work and the rest of your life, your family, your community, your personal life, your mind, body, and spirit. You can find greater harmony and you can improve performance in all the different parts because they are, as you say, intertwined and they affect each other. You can't separate them. They're all a part of you and your life and they are mutually affecting. So the, the thing to do is to get smart about the choices you make, about what's important to you, who's important to you, and then be creative about continually experimenting with how you get things done in your life so that over time you are increasing the chances of your feeling like you are creating some beautiful music, having a greater sense of harmony. And you do that by taking account of what you care about, what the people around you care about, and then trying new ways of getting things done, looking to find ways of making things better for your work, your home, your community, and your private self. That's what I call the four-way win mentality. You're always looking for ways to make things better in all the different parts. And when you say balance, I'm almost done with my little lecture here, Brett. <laughs> when you say balance, 
what comes to mind? You see the seesaw or the scales of imbalance. And when that's your mindset, if your mindset is balance, then you are naturally thinking, well, if I'm going to be successful in my career, I've got to give up something in my personal life for my family life, for my community life. That's the mindset. If yep. I'm going to be a great dad, well, then I'm going, I'm going to have to uh, curtail my ambition or my career you know, progress. And that is a destructive mindset because it compels you to be thinking about what you have to give up, what you have to sacrifice. If you instead think about what I call four-way wins and you ask yourself, now, what can I do that's within my control that allows me to lead my life in a way that produces value for the different parts of, the lo- of my life that I care about, my work and my home and my community and myself? Notice there's a, those are all ands. There's no or in that statement. If you ask yourself that question, and I think this is my main contribution, then you are much more likely to find opportunities to make things work for all the different parts than if you simply assume you can't have that. Yep. And that's what we find in our research and our practice and bringing the total leadership model, which I created when I was the head of leadership development at Ford Motor Company, to, to companies around the world. Hmm, I like this. So I always talk about the tyranny of the or versus the abundance of the and. And that's exactly what you're talking about, right? That's it. You got it, Brett. Yeah. So because it is, it's the and. And I think I, I, so we're a thousand percent in in alignment here. Now, you have to promise me, though, Brett, from here on, you're not going to use the word work-life balance. You're going to talk about work-life integration or harmony. I like it. I'm writing it down right now. Okay, no more balance. I'm going to steal that. I'm going to use that like a thousand times in the next week. Okay. All right. Please I'll do give it. you credit though. I'll give you yeah. credit. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> no, I'm, I, a lot of people are using that term now, uh, or, you know, they're, they're, they're taking the point of view that you are taking. And I feel great about that. I don't care if I get credit. The only thing I care about is that people are, you know, approaching the question of how to bring together the different parts of their lives in a way that is about uh, mutual wins you know, across all the yep. different parts so that that idea is getting out there uh is a great thing and i that's what i've been pounding the drum on that for 30 years plus and it's great to see that it's becoming more normal and guys like you are talking this way i like it so now the next question i'm going to talk about is enjoying the journey so i think that's a big one right so when you are leading a company you're leading a family you're doing great community work you're wanting to do things in your own personal life um there, it is it is tough sometimes, and maybe I'm the only one in the world that deals with this, but is is slowing down and, and thinking about truly how blessed we are, right? There are billions of people that would trade places with us no matter what's going on in our lives. The, the ones fortunate enough to listen to this anyway, anybody would trade places with us, right? And so how do we slow down enough, though, to enjoy the journey and uh, and just not be so worried or thinking about the future all the time? That's such an important question, Brett, and I'm really glad you're asking it. And I, I, I hope and expect that you are doing this on a regular basis on your show because people really need to be reminded, you know, in the, the hurly-burly of everyday, you know, life, it's so easy to get sucked up into the reactive, you know, sense of, all right, what do I, you know, whose interest do I have to serve next? You know, what's next on my to-do list? Who's calling me now? What emails do I have to respond to? 
and it takes a conscious and deliberate effort, it really takes leadership to first and foremost reflect on who the heck am I and why am I here? And, and what, what are my core values? And what's the vision of the world I'm trying to create? And that's where I start my course. That's where I start my books. That's where I start our programs, working with companies. And it's because I didn't make this up. We did tons of research on people who are effective at bringing together the different parts of their lives. What do they do? Well, they act like leaders. They identify and they continually reflect on what do I stand for? Where am I going and why? And they let people know that through the stories of where they've come from and what they've learned about their experience, which they have to understand through reflection. It doesn't happen by magic. And through conversation with people who are going to ask you questions to help you clarify what's important and identifying your future, the, you know, the, the vision of the world you're trying to create, what I call a leadership vision, compelling image of an achievable future. What's yours? And I have people write this and, uh, and then share it with other people and they get reactions and feedback. I was doing this in my classroom yesterday at the Wharton School, 55 Wharton MBA students sharing their leadership visions after talking about the critical episodes in their life histories and what they learned from those. So it starts with where you want to go. What do you stand for? Uh, and it all builds on that. Uh, I could say more about that, but let me pause here and uh, see if I'm on track and responding to you. Absolutely, your... you are. And uh, we're going to cut to a break real quick. So I appreciate you listening to Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland. Today on the show is Dr. Stuart Friedman is a professor at Wharton School of Business. Uh, we've talked a lot about already just the work-life integration, not balance, work-life integration. We're talking about philosophies on enjoying the journey. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about what he learned from Jack Welch and uh, Al Gore. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Circuit of Success. I am your host, Brett Gilliland, founder and CEO of Visionary Wealth Advisors. Today, I am joined in the studio with Dr. Stuart Friedman, professor at the Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, Dr. Friedman, we've been talking about enjoying the journey, but now I want to flip the page a little bit and uh, talk about you know, maybe lots of leaders that you've worked with, but most importantly, uh, one, because selfishly I read his book and I, I looked up to him in my early years, uh, but Jack Welch. What, what did you learn from that guy that uh, was just something that's going to stick with you forever? Uh, the, you know, he really cares about trying to help other people to grow. Uh, to me, that's sort of the, the critical theme in his, uh, in his leadership philosophy. Not by being soft on people, but being uh, caring about them, which, which often means giving critical feedback. Um, so I worked with him on his book, winning on the chapter on work and life. Um, he had read my 1998 Harvard business review article, which is the first big piece I wrote in this field, uh, which was called work and life, the end of the zero sum game. And it was my early research on, what, what we've been talking about here, how to integrate the different parts of life as a leader in all of them by being real, being whole, being innovative. And 
and he was really grateful to me for uh, for you know, the assistance I gave him. But he was also challenging me and my ideas. So we had some great conversations uh, about the ideas. We we didn't always agree, but he was incredibly respectful and really interested in what I had to say. And then when he came to to Wharton to uh, to give a talk about this book. Um, I, I came down to the podium in our big, big auditorium, and there he is with you know the dean, the president of the university. I mean, everybody's showing up for Jack Welch. Uh, this yeah. is 15 years ago or so, and I come over, uh, uh, you know, I'm sort of uh, around the periphery of this, aus- you know, this auspicious group of uh, of our dignitaries, and he calls me over. Hey, Stuart, come on over here. Uh, you know, so and so and so and so, right? And so the first thing he does. Is to introduce me, you know, to the all, you know, the the higher ups at my institution. <laughs> that was the first thing he did, uh, and that's just the way he operated. You know, he he made sure that I was connected to the people around me who mattered to me because he was thinking about me, which uh, that really stuck stuck with me. It's amazing. So let's talk about uh, the best leaders that you see all over the world and what are they doing for their cultures? I think, I, in my opinion, we, you know, we as leaders, we control the culture, right? And uh, so what are you finding uh, they do best? Well, one of the things they do, and this this helps me to go back and complete my thought about the enjoying the journey, because I didn't yeah, quite yeah. finish what I wanted to say about that. You know, it, it starts with understanding what you care about and then checking in with people around you regularly on what they care about, what they really need from you, and then continually experimenting with how you get things done and then reflecting on what works and what doesn't. To enjoy the journey is to be connected to the people around you and to be looking for ways to serve their interests while you advance your goals for the impact you're trying to have on the world. And so the people who are leading productive, progressive, life-enhancing organizations uh, and doing so successfully are those who are having fun doing what they're doing. They believe in what they are, uh, what they're producing or the service that they're providing. And they care first and foremost about the people who are working with them. Uh, And how do you do that? Well, you pay attention to what they need and you respond to that. And you, you treat them as whole people, uh, as people who have needs and interests beyond your work uh, together and, and, and understand and value the fact that they've got lives that are affected by the conditions that you create in your work environment. So uh, those are the kinds of things that, the, you know, the mindset that I think the, the progressive leaders who are winning the war for talent uh, that's the mindset that they have. That's great. So let's talk about leadership for uh, for a minute on. So Winston Churchill, obviously known as a leader, uh, most people wanted to avoid conflict with Hitler. He was he was ready to go, right? And so how do you balance the strength to stand alone as a leader when maybe not everybody buys into what you're saying, but having the strength to buy or you know stand alone on that mm-hmm. and not alienating others and uh, losing credibility. How do we do that? Oh, that's that's a great question, Brett. I, I think the the key to knowing when to you know when to fight 
I went to walk away and how to build support for your ideas uh, starts once again with understanding why you're here. Uh, you, you can't leave unless you've got a clear sense of what you stand for and where you're going and why you're here. Um, without that, you're just going to be driven you know, this way and that by whatever is most expedient. Uh, so you've got to have that, you know, that North star, you've got to have some guide as to where you're going. Now that might change over the course of your life as, you know, as your life changes, people are born into it. People die from it. Uh, you know, new paths emerge, but having a sense of who you are, what you stand for, what matters to you, that helps you to focus on where to invest your attention. And it also helps you to understand uh, who around you, you need to support you. It also helps you to end those relationships or to protect yourself from those that are harmful. Uh, the most important aspect though, of being able to articulate what you stand for in a way that other people can relate to through genuine stories of what's happened to you and how those experiences have shaped your values and why they propel you in a certain direction is that that's how you build support. That's how you get other people to say, yeah, that's, that's a world I want to try to help him create as well. I'm willing to step up and give him a hand. Uh, if what you're, if what you're presenting to the world around you is, uh, you know, here's what's going to be easy for me and good for me, for me, nobody cares about that. Nobody's going to want to help you unless you're a really super good salesman and you can fool people, but you can, that only takes you so far. Wouldn't you say that, uh, I want to talk about, maybe we're going to, we're going to challenge our sales, see if we can have like a two minute MBA Wharton school of business class. All right. Dr. Stuart Freeman. But before we go there, talk to us about vulnerability and transparency. How important is that? It's a really good issue because um, there too you've got to you've got to develop the skill of being able to reveal aspects of yourself that are not too disclosive, because you know nobody wants to know everything that's ever happened to you or everything that you've ever thought. There's lots right. of things that you have thought about that no one else should know. <laughs> okay, exactly. <laughs> That's just the way our minds work. So, so there's some skill that you've got to develop through practice, folks. This doesn't come easy. You, know, you got to learn this stuff. Nobody can teach you leadership, but you can indeed must learn it, right? And that's on you. And it starts with the decision, yeah, I want to develop as a leader. I want to be someone who inspires other people to action that moves people forward. So part of that is to figure out through trial and error and practice how you can reveal aspects of where you've come from uh, to other people that are relatable, that other people can see, ah, I see how this person struggled. I see how she learned from this failure. And I see now why she cares so much about this issue. Now I get who she is and where she's coming from. And now I understand why she wants me to help her. So uh, that almost always requires some kind of vulnerability because you are revealing an aspect of yourself that demonstrates generally a struggle. 
But the thing is, people want to see that you indeed have struggled because everyone, everyone struggles. <laughs> if you think about your favorite movie or poem or novel, you know, what's the essence of great, of great stories? A protagonist who meets yep. against, a, you know, runs up into a difficult reality that she somehow gets around. Everyone struggles. And when they see that you're a person who has indeed experienced some kind of struggle and that you have learned from that and somehow gotten through it and continue to try to, you know, thrive and contribute to other people, they say, okay, there's another human being just like me. Right. And they relate I think to it leads it. to a better relationship too, because not everybody is vulnerable and transparent, but I, I found even, you know, as I deal with anxiousness, nervousness, whatever it may be, the more I share that, the more I learn there's lots and lots and lots of people that deal with the same thing I deal with, and it immediately has a much be better bond and a better relationship. Exactly, because they trust you more because they can see, ah, there's a right. person, a human being there, not a role, not somebody who's just trying to come across as having had, you know, a... Uh, a string of, of successes because very, very few people have. You know, so it's good to answer your question earlier. Uh, it's, a, it's a really good thing to be revealing of, you know, uh, your, your failures as well as your successes. You're listening to The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland. Stay with us. We're back to the Circuit of Success. I am your host, Brett Gilliland. You know, every week, we're lucky enough to have a great guest on here that really opens up, that lets us inside their life and what it took to become successful, how they've used the circuits of success to create success in their life. Now we're going to give you more of a chance to hear more of the story. All right. Now let's talk about this two-minute MBA class we're going to go through the work. Okay. Business. You ready? All right. First all right. of all, I would, first rule in my classroom, no digital devices put them away <laughs> well we're in trouble then because i'm all digital around here right now uh, <laughs> well, so but no I, I will i'll put my phones away and stop right. texting none of that stuff okay uh, so we're in our two-minute class all right. i would consider myself uh, a pretty good what i would call visionary a a goal setter a vision writer planner all that kind of stuff um and I think probably lots of our listeners are, but walk us through the steps. What does it take to have that ideal mission, that ideal vision in our minds? How do we put it on paper? And then once we have it on paper, how articulate do, do we need to be with it? How clear does it need to be? And where do we, what do we need to do with that each and every day? Okay. So here's a tool uh, that I've used for years and years now that most people, not everyone, but most people find to be very easy to, well, not easy to do, but you know, they, they can see how, how to do it. And, and once they do it, they find it very helpful and refer back to it and refine it and refine it and refine it over time. And that is this. Imagine it is 15 years from right now. Okay. Whatever that date is, choose the actual date and the actual year. What happens on that day? As you imagine you want it to be. You wake up. Who are you with? What do you do in the morning? What do you do in the afternoon? What do you do in the evening? Specifically, what actions? What is happening? Describe the day. And then say, 
why you're doing what you're doing with some reference to some story in your past that motivates you to want to be doing what you're doing and having the impact that you're having. That's it. Describe a day in your history, in your future history, uh, that relates to where you have come from in some way. Here's what happened to me in the past, and here's how that relates to why I want this day to look like this. And here's the impact I'm having. Here's the, the purpose that I am serving. Just try writing that up on a page. First draft, which will not be your last. And then share it with someone. Someone you trust who you can you know, be open with and ask them to respond. Does this move you? What about it did you find interesting or compelling? What grabbed your attention? What did you want to know more about? Ask me again, what did you want to know more about that was missing from this picture? So you're painting a picture. You're creating a compelling image of an achievable future, which is how I define what a good leadership vision is. And anybody can do it. And I would say everyone who wants to be a leader needs to do it. So you write it, you share it with people. And in the best case, and this is what we did in our class yesterday, you hear other people do the same thing. And you ask them the caring, candid, compassionate questions that demonstrate your curiosity and interest in learning about them. Here's what I wanted to hear more about, Brett, in that picture that you just created. Uh, here's what I found most interesting. Here's what I appreciated about what you just had to say. So you do that for them. They do that for you. You steal ideas from other people because you're inspired by what they talk about and you realize, wow, I should have included something about that in my story. Let's see if I can weave that in. So then you write it again and you share it with other people and get reactions from them and you just keep working it. So that's what I would recommend, Brett. What do you think? I love it. I mean, I think I just, I think back to, you know, basically a month ago, uh, our firm Visionary Wealth Advisors, every year we have a, a end of the year business planning for the next year type of event. And I always go through an exercise and and this was very similar to what the exercise was, is kind of your whatever your amazing future that's in front of you, what is it? And then the more we share it, you do, you steal ideas, you get new thoughts. And, mm -hmm. and, and but I'm a believer and you share that with people. Um, you know, I have a 90 day goal that I want to ride my bike, uh, my Peloton bike to Chicago. Right. So I, I went public with that. Now people are asking me about it. So that's just, you know, even on the fitness side, right? So when people ask you about it, they care. It allows us to engage in a conversation, even if I'm going to go get a drink of water or something like that. And then I think the key is that I've got it written down in my journal. What my first 90 day plan is for 2019 is to read that every single day to get laser focused on it. There's a much better likelihood that it will happen. Uh, absolutely. I think the, the one of the great benefits of articulating a leadership vision is that it helps you to focus your attention on what you really care about and the more you share it with other people and the more that they see there's a benefit for them in what you're trying to accomplish. This is the piece that's often missing. Uh, when I coach, well, that's huge. That's when huge. I, so. When I coach people on their leadership visions, and I do this a lot, uh, you know, one of the, my most common 
you know, question for them and advice for them is, how is this going to help other people? And if you don't have some element of that in there, then you're going to get much less support. You know, if it's just about you, nobody really cares. But if other people see that this is something that is good for them or good for, you know, other people that they care about, they're much more likely to lean forward and say, yeah, that's good. You keep doing that, Brett. And how can I help you? Great people, great people around us, right? Uh, so let's talk about fears for a second. Uh, if yeah. I had to ask Dr. Stuart Friedman, mm. how many of the fears that he put in his mind have actually blown up to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be? What's your answer? Uh, so wait, so you're asking me what? Just what, personally, what what fears have I had that have not occurred or that have occurred? Well, I would say that we all, maybe you don't, but I would assume most people have fears, right? Whatever the fear may be, if I'm getting ready to do this or I'm getting ready, let's take a book, for example, you're getting ready to write one of your books and maybe you have a fear early on. You probably don't have that fear now, but early on, who's going to buy my book? How is it going to look? I mean, you, you start putting all these thoughts in your mind that are negative, right? Yeah. How many of them actually come true to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be? Uh. Yeah, um, most don't. Um, right. And, you know, uh, what I try to do, so one of my, you know, I do a lot of public speaking. I'm in front of classes. I also give talks uh, in companies and trade associations around the world. And and I always get the jitters, you know, a bit of the jitters. And, you know, that's a good thing because if you don't have some yeah. sense of, you know, anxiety, a little bit of anxiety, you're probably not going to be motivated to really pay attention to what you're doing. And yeah. the anxiety or the fear is about, you know, what if I mess up here? What if, uh, what if I don't connect? What if they don't really care about what I have to say here? What if they're, they think it's irrelevant or, or not useful and I'm wasting their time and they're going to, they're going to react, you know, negatively to, to what I'm offering. So this, those are the kinds of fears. That's the first thing I thought of. Uh, and I, I tend to, uh, you know, it, it's generally not realized that fear, especially, you know, more recently as I've grown a greater sense of mastery. I mean, one of the benefits of getting old, I'm 66 now, is that you, you know what you're good at. Uh, through lots of, lots of experiences and lots of experiences of failure. And so now I'm at the stage where I can say, okay, this, you know, this is probably going to be okay. And it's probably going to be all right for them. And in a real sense, I've been preparing my entire life for this moment and I'm ready. So that's a helpful thought to, that, I, that I use. And I would advise others to consider like, how has your life to this moment brought you to this place? And you realize, yeah. Um, I'm ready for this. So that's one of the ways that I deal with some of those anxieties. I like that. Cause it, it, you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, if you've done it for this long, wouldn't we start to bet on ourselves a little bit and believe in ourselves a little bit more? Well, and that you've, you've learned along the way, right? What, what you're good at, what you're not so good at, and you've, you've refined your method or your approach, or even if you're, you're trying something new, I mean, there you're going to feel a lot more anxiety and stress. And that's why I'm a big believer in small experiments that are low risk when you're trying something new, because that's how you 
take a step forward and grow without uh, being inhibited by, you know, too much by uh, a fear of, of failure. So when I coach people on making intentional changes that are designed to have positive impact in all the different parts of their lives, these four-way wins, the key concept is how is this going to benefit your work, your home, your community, and yourself? And how are you going to do this in a way that is small enough so that you can actually accomplish it? And it's low risk enough so that if you mess up, it's not going to be the end of the world. And, you know, the key to that, of course, is to realize that what you're trying to do here is good for other people, not just you. And they, they want you to succeed, which requires that you actually think through how is this going to benefit other people. So those are some of the ways to help you to move forward when you might be afraid to do so. Got it. So what do leaders, what do good leaders do when they're uncertain? Because we can't always have the answer. So what do we do when we're uncertain in times? Look to your core values and look to the people around you who are going to tell you when you're, you know, you're full of baloney, when you're, when, you know, you're not acting in accord with what matters to them and to you and, and just make sure that they feel like they can tell you when you're off course. Um, and, and do your best to act in accord with what you what you care most about. Again, that's going to continue to evolve over the course of your life. Uh, but that's that's what I try to do is is to look inside and say, is this consistent with who I want to be, who I want my kids to see when they you know when they think of me, uh, and what you know my grandchildren are going to be thinking about. So hmm. it's, it's useful to think about your legacy to help you guide your action, but I'm not sure if I'm addressing your question here, Brad. No, I think you, you hit it as soon as you started talking is it, it does go back to your values, right? I mean, if we can go to our values and have a value system that helps us with every decision, you may not have the answer, but if you have the right values, which I assume you do, uh, you're probably going to make the right decision. And if you don't, you're going to learn from it. But at least yeah. you're, you're trying to act with integrity. You're trying to act in a way that is consistent with how you want to be known in the world and what you want your legacy to be. So talk to us about TotalLeadership.org. Uh, talk to us about your website. Well, Total Leadership is the name of uh, the book that I wrote. Uh, for Harvard Business Press, which is now in a bunch of different languages and which is taught in many different business schools and which we use to help people to grow as leaders in all the different parts of their lives in companies around the world, uh, as well as in schools. So totalleadership.org is where you can find all about uh, this book and a number of other books. You can get free chapters of those books there. There's uh, self-assessments, videos, all kinds of tools, resources that you can find there, including uh, links to the um, Sirius XM Wharton Business Radio show that I host every Tuesday night at 7 o'clock Eastern. It's called Work and Life and the free podcast versions of those at uh, workandlifepodcast.com. But you can find all that stuff linked at totalleadership.org. Awesome. Well, last few questions here, Dr. Stuart Freeman here. Uh, what would you tell yourself? So you said you're 66, I believe. Yes. What would you tell the 36 or the 46 year old Stuart Friedman? 
I think the the uh, first idea this there's a lot that I'd want to tell that guy. <laughs> uh, but I think the most. How much time do you have, right? Yeah, really. The the, the thing that comes to mind first is um, to focus more undivided attention um, on each of my children. Uh, you know, to to, and I was pretty good at this, but I, in looking back, I realized that there's so much more I could have done. Uh, as they were growing up, to really give 100% undistracted, uh, really committed, caring, loving attention uh, to each one of them individually. Uh, so that's the first thing that comes to mind. And the, the larger idea there is to try to be less selfish and more attentive to the needs of other people and how I can serve them. Yeah. All right. My last question here is how do we sustain excellence and avoid complacency? What a wonderful uh, question. I, I think the, um, the notion of surrounding yourself with, with, with people who, who care about what you're trying to do in the world and who are willing to tell you when you ask them, Hey, uh, how am I doing in meeting your expectations for what you want me to be doing? Uh, and why, why what I'm doing is going to be useful for you. How, how am I doing there? Uh, and what could I be doing better? Uh, I mean, it starts by looking within, asking yourself those questions regularly, building that into your life as regular practice. Uh, but it's easy to fool yourself, <laughs> to lie to yourself. It's a lot harder uh, when you, just as you were saying before, Brett, when you put it out there, you know, here's my aspiration. Then people are going to say, hey, Brett, how's your training going for that big bike ride? Uh, right. So so putting it out there and then asking for people to, to hold you accountable. And again, it's a lot easier to do that if they know that what you're doing is not just for you, but it's it's for other people as well. So I think you, you sustain the, you know, the drive for, excellence in making a contribution that's valuable to the world and that's going to result in a legacy that 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 you can now feel good about is is to ensure that other people know what it is that you're trying to do based on the values that you've got uh how you're trying to make the world better and and regularly asking them how am i doing on that and what could i be doing better all right. Well, this has been a complete, uh, this has been a, just a huge honor for me. This has been awesome to interview you and you got a wealth of knowledge. I'm thankful for your time today. Where do our listeners find more of Dr. Stuart Friedman? Well, you can go to totalleadership.org. That's probably the best place. Um, okay. Or you can just Google me, uh, Stu Friedman Wharton, and uh, you'll find my faculty page there, which has all kinds of other stuff as well. Pretty easy to find people today, isn't it? <laughs> really is. It's amazing. <laughs> Well, Dr. Stuart Friedman, thank you for being on the Circuit of Success. And uh, thank you just for our listeners for tuning in every single week on the Circuit of Success. You know, our goal is to get into the minds of some of the most uh, elite people in the world, uh, whether it's in education, like Dr. Friedman here, if it's in sports, it's in business, whatever it may be in. Our goal is to bring you something, at least one nugget every single week that can help you on your journey to one, enjoy the journey and make a huge impact in life. So thanks for joining us on the Circuit of Success. 
This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm. 